just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Tuesday in a week that promises to be a little crazy. A lot of news being made. Probably the biggest news is what's going to happen tomorrow. The January 6th committee is back with another hearing. They took about a six-week recess But they are now back. Now, keep in mind, in those six weeks, they weren't just twiddling their thumbs. They were gathering more evidence, interviewing more people, and they are loaded for bear. We don't know exactly what they're going to talk about in this hearing, but we know there might be a couple of special guest stars on this hearing. Roger Stone and Jenny Thomas. Now, I don't know if they're going to testify, but they're going to be talked about. Their ears are going to be burning. We're thinking that in this hearing that they're going to be talking about those people who planned, funded, and facilitated this hearing. And that wouldn't be the clowns on the street that went after the Capitol. It would be the people sitting in Congress or the likes of Jenny Thomas and and Roger Stone and maybe even people in the White House like, say, Mark Meadows. I think this is really going to be a compelling hearing, and I think it's going to give a lot of information that we've all been waiting for. Now, some people are suggesting this could be the last hearing, or at least the last hearing before the midterms. I don't believe that's true. They've got a lot of information. They've interviewed over a thousand people. They've got all kinds of evidence and documents. Do you really think they can wrap it up with one more hearing? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think there'll be at least one more in October, maybe two more. Depends on all the things that happen. Because as more evidence becomes available, they're going to want to get it out there. And frankly, they're going to want to control as much of the narrative as they can up until the midterms. At least they should be. I mean, this is where that killer instinct comes into play. They have a lot of things going for them in the midterms. Uh, The overturning of Roe v. Wade, that may cost a lot of elections, uh, cost the Republicans a lot of elections. But this is no time to step back and ease up. You got to go for the kill. You got to take every advantage you can going into the midterms. And these hearings, if you remember, they were the top of the news cycle. They were the most important things. And then they stopped and other things took over. Little things like stealing documents and all that kind of stuff. Well, when this hearing starts again, it's going to rise to the top of the news cycle. And uh, it's going to have a lot of impact. So we still have the documents thing. We still have all the crazy shit with uh, Georgia and New York and all this stuff. If the Democrats are going to do this right, they will keep everything at a high level up until the midterms to get the full benefit when people start heading to the voting booths. But that hearing tomorrow is probably going to be the biggest story of the week. That said, we have some other stories and some other uh, things happening this week that... uh, will be interesting as well. Now, we know Donald Trump stole a bunch of top-secret documents. We've been going back and forth about this. Donald Trump has said that uh, the FBI planted documents. He said they've been declassified, that he could simply think about it, and they would be declassified. He's been spewing this all over the place, on TV, on the Internet, all that kind of stuff. And, of course... The Trump team wanted to delay this whole process with the documents. They know they're in deep trouble here. There's really no way out of this situation. No matter what happened, Donald Trump is in trouble for possessing these top-secret documents. So they wanted to slow it down. That's what the Republicans do. That's what Donald Trump does. It doesn't save them from anything. It doesn't change the outcome. It just delays it. And I never understood 
why they would do that. Now, granted, I, you know, you want to delay the inevitable, delay the punishment and all that stuff. But more often than not, you delay it because you have hopes of finding some way out of it. Well, they have no way out of it. They aren't looking for a way out of it. And uh, in this particular situation, they may have fucked themselves over. So Trump made claims that the documents he stole were either declassified or even possibly planted by the FBI. Trump's team insisted on a special master. Now, that special master, Raymond Deary, asked the DOJ to make a list of all the documents they seized from Mar-a-Lago, which the DOJ provided yesterday, according to the request by special master Deary. Now, Deary has essentially told Trump's team to put up or shut up. See, he required Trump's team to provide a sworn affidavit with evidence of their claims by this Friday. Now, they aren't going to submit something supporting their claims. Because if they are to do that, then they would be lying because there is no evidence. And if these lawyers are caught lying, which they most certainly would be, they would lose their law licenses and probably be prosecuted. So what they're probably going to do is submit some convoluted document that says essentially nothing. I mean, that's what Donald Trump and his uh, legal team are really good at. The Trump team basically fucked up again. I mean, that's always the case with Donald Trump and his lawyers. He's got the weakest lawyers you can possibly get because he either can't afford them or people just won't work for him. He doesn't pay them, and he doesn't listen to them. This is a recipe for disaster for any lawyer that takes Donald Trump on as a client. They threw these claims out there to create confusion and delay. Then the special master that they insisted on took away their only defense. Their only defense is they were planted or they were declassified. So Raymond Deary... The special master put them on the spot. They thought Raymond Deary was going to side with them and allow them to continue with this charade and create the chaos and create the delays. But Raymond Deary's an actual judge. He actually knows what he's doing. He knows about national security because he's dealt with it before. He said, look, you're making these claims. They seem outrageous. But if you have proof, you're going to need to provide it. And you're going to need it provided by Friday. Now, they tried to get out of this by saying, well, we don't really want to provide it yet because we may need it in a criminal trial. And like the judge said, well, you brought the lawsuit. It's the burdens on you to prove it. So you need to come up with the facts, which they won't on Friday. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Deary. Deary asked for something very specific from the DOJ. He got it. He asked for something very specific from Donald Trump's team, and he's not going to get it. He's not going to be happy about it. Does this shut the whole effort down now, the whole idea that um, Donald Trump wants to stop the FBI from looking at it? Well, we know, given the circumstances, the FBI was given the go-ahead to go through all these documents again when Donald Trump's bought and paid for judge backed off because she looked stupid. So as we speak, the FBI is uh, going through these documents, and there's no question that there's plenty of evidence that what Donald Trump did was absolutely illegal. Their only hope was this chaos and this convoluted claims that something was going on that wasn't really happening. Raymond Deary put them on the spot. He was supposed to be on their side, but instead he said, you know, this is a fucked up claims. So if it's true, it's horrific. So please show us the evidence. There will be no evidence. So we will have the hearing with the January 6th committee that's going to have some bombshells on Wednesday. Then on Friday, uh, the Trump team will not provide what the special master asked for, and where that sends this whole investigation, who knows? Because Raymond Deary basically took away their defenses because he made them prove that 
these things actually happened, and of course they didn't. So, so this week is going to be interesting. It's very interesting. This hearing, I really believe there's going to be some bombshells in it. I mean, we already heard the story about the technician who no longer works for the January 6th committee who says that there is um, a phone call from the White House going to one of the riders. Now, their phone call was only nine seconds. They hard, I doubt they even talked, but it's really compelling that this even happened. I'm not quite sure about um, this Denver Riggle. I mean, he seems competent, and I had some questions about it in the last podcast. Um, Ed kind of explained some things that I didn't know, so I feel a little better about the guy. But still, the guy is trying to sell a book. It's coming out today. You're going to buy the book? Don't buy the fucking book. You don't need to buy the book. All you have to do is watch the fucking hearings. You'll get the real facts there. The book may be good, it may not be good, but I'm tired of people trying to sell books on the back of the destruction of this fucking country. Fuck him, fuck anybody selling books. Well, we had another interesting turn of events. Not in America, though. In Russia. And and I know you're thinking, well, he's going to talk about the Ukraine war. No, I'm not. Something else. Now, you probably heard this, but President Vladimir Putin has granted Russian citizenship to former U.S. security contractor Edward Snowden, according to a decree signed by the Russian leader on Monday. You remember Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden worked for the NSA and the CIA, and he was an insider. And then he became a whistleblower. He came across some information that said the NSA is basically listening into everybody's phone conversations. Well, that's unconstitutional. And so Edward Snowden, even though he was sworn not to say anything or speak up about anything going on in the CIA or the NSA, he did speak up. You see, Edward Snowden was in kind of a quandary. He took two oaths. One to keep secret those things he knew about with the CIA and NSA. But he also took an oath to protect the Constitution. What the NSA was doing was infringing on the constitutional rights of everybody in this country. So he became a whistleblower. And the government didn't cotton to that. They were going to put him in jail forever. And he blew town. He took out of the country, and he's been in exile for some time. And now Vladimir Putin comes out and says, hey, we'll make you a citizen. Now, he'll be a dual citizen with the U.S. and Russia. I mean, he has really no choice. He said he'd come back for a fair trial, but there's no way he's getting a fair trial out of this. So he's going to move to Russia. I wonder if he's going to get drafted or conscripted to fight in the Ukraine war. Doubt it. But they're drafting everybody else over there. Doesn't matter how old you are, they're fucking sending you to war, which is causing all kinds of issues in Russia. We'll talk about it another another time. So Snowden is going to become a Russian citizen and and Russia's going to protect him. He's gonna he's not gonna have to come back to the US. They certainly aren't going to extradite him to the US, not Russia for God's sake. Snowden is one of 75 foreign nationals listed by the decree as being granted Russian citizenship. The decree was published on an official government website. Snowden, a former contractor with the U.S. National Security Agency, has been living in Russia since 2013. This guy's been there for nine years. And the reason he's been there... Uh, is to escape prosecution in the U.S. after leaking classified documents detailing government surveillance programs. He was granted permanent residency in 2020 and said at the time he planned to apply for Russian citizenship without renouncing his U.S. citizenship. Now, there's a lot of controversy about this guy. There are many people will say he's a traitor because he exposed secrets. He exposed secrets of this country, and he should go to jail. 
Now, it's funny, these same people think Donald Trump should get off when he did what he did was far worse than what Snowden did. I'll be honest with you, and you may agree with me, you may disagree with me, it doesn't matter. But I personally think Snowden is kind of a hero. I mean, he finds out the government is surveilling all of us on our cell phones, and he exposes it because it's the wrong thing. It's unconstitutional. He is sworn to protect the Constitution, so he needs to say something. Does that supersede his need to be uh, secretive about those things he knows in the NSA and CIA? Maybe. But doesn't he have an obligation to protect the Constitution? See, here's the problem. Everybody's trying to make Snowden out to be the the criminal here. But the real criminal is the NSA who was snooping on all of us. It's like saying, okay, we did something bad, but you're in bigger trouble because you told on us. Fuck that. You know, that's what's got to change in this country. Just because you have position or power or money doesn't mean you get to get away with shit that is criminal just because you have that power. Snowden tried to do the right thing, at least in his mind. He wasn't trying to hurt the country. He was trying to help the country. At the same time, Donald Trump had these documents and didn't care if he was hurting the country. He wasn't worried about how it affected the country at all. He was only trying to enrich himself. So if you're going to get on Snowden's back, you better fucking hate Donald Trump because what Donald Trump has done and continues to do is far worse than what Snowden did. And at least Snowden, Snowden had the right right state of mind to do it. He thought he was doing something good. Donald Trump, I don't know that he knew he was doing something bad. He didn't care. It was just something that was going to help him. So Snowden is now a citizen of Russia, and he'll probably live there till he dies. He's been there nine years. He'll probably be there another 40 years. And he won't come back to this country because he won't get a fair trial. It's a sad situation. I think he's a hero, and I think a lot of people think he's a hero. I think more people have to be whistleblowers and tell us the fucked up things that the government are doing to us. I don't think that's a bad thing, but... We probably won't see Snowden come back here. I thank him for telling us what he did tell us because it gave us reason to look into some things and maybe question what some of these intelligence agencies are in fact doing. So the Washington Post reported over the weekend that staff and officials on the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on Congress were not happy with what Representative Denver Riggleman did. Um, he was working with the committee as a staffer until April 22nd. Now, while officials like Adam Schiff, Jamie Raskin, Zoe Lofgren have indicated that they followed up on everything that Riggleman said and that there was a lot of news in his book, behind the scenes it was another matter. According to former Senator Claire McCaskill, members are furious with Riggleman. And who's surprised? I mean, I talked about this in another podcast. He was involved with the January 6th committee, and clearly he came up with some things that disturbed him, and he decided to promote it. But he did it ahead of the January 6th committee's hearings. He's letting out information ahead of time. And I don't know if he signed an NDA or what he did, but they aren't happy about it. And the reason I have a problem with it is if he's just trying to give us information like, say, Snowden was trying to do, to give us a heads up, to do something better for the country, that's one thing. But Mr. Riggleman had a book that was released today. He chose to be on the uh, 60 Minutes television show on Sunday, and um, he chose to do it before the January 6th hearing on Wednesday the 28th. I mean, had he waited till Thursday or Friday, he probably wouldn't have gotten as much heat, but he probably wouldn't have gotten as much play on his book. That's the thing that really bugs me these days. 
we have all these people with books coming out, and they have all these new revelations, and it's selling books for them. But this shit's been going on for six years, for Christ's sake. It wouldn't have been, it would have been helpful if four years ago or three years ago or even two years ago you brought this shit up. You sit and watch this stuff happen and you saved it in your back pocket so later you could sell a book. And I'm all for capitalism. I'm all for making a buck. But at some point you got to look at what's good for the country. And they didn't do that. Appearing on MSNBC Monday evening, Riggleman appeared to downplay the revelations that he included in the book, which will be released publicly today. Um, Sunday evening, his interview with 60 Minutes showed him giving details about the link between phone calls of insurrectionists and militias directly to the White House. Now, Riggleman said, I did not betray their trust. I did not have sex with that woman. I was going to write a book beforehand, back in 2021. I said, Riggleman uh, said that he he planned to write another uh, book before this all happened. Of course you did. The thing is, I don't make this about, you know, some kind of beef about the committee, because obviously they did not read the book yet. It's really what it comes down to. It's a little surprising that things some individuals say that don't think I have done a fantastic job, and it was a little interesting to see them say some of those things. Now, the question is, he left the January 6th committee in April, which was prior to the hearings, because I think they started in May. And the January 6th committee is saying, well, he knows some stuff, but not most of the stuff. Most of the stuff happened after he was gone. Now, the January 6th committee said that he left his post with the January 6th committee because he wanted to help Ukraine in their war, which clearly isn't true because he's still here and he spent that time writing a fucking book. So clearly he lied about that. I, you know... If you had information, that's fine. Like I said in a previous podcast, a lot of the information we kind of knew. The only thing that was revelatory about what he said was that it maybe proved there was evidence of the things we thought happened. And we were excited about this. I had the question as to why a Trump humper would be hired by the January 6th committee to deal with the data stuff. And Ed in the previous podcast, explained that he was recommended by Liz Cheney. Um, He was a representative. He got his ass booted out. And apparently the reason he got his ass booted out is because he officiated some friend's gay wedding. And the Republicans did not like that. Not surprising. I don't know that Riggleman's a bad guy. But he doesn't have to be a bad guy to be opportunistic and want to make money as opposed to helping this country. He could have told us this, you know, back when he learned it. Now, while Riggleman Riggleman said that there is information about the committee's revelations in the book, it's all things that have been public, just what I said. He said that he simply tries to digest the findings in a way for everyday people. Well, that sounds familiar. (laughs) That sounds like fucking me. The main portion of the book is about his experience being a pariah of the GOP after performing a gay wedding for two staffers. He explained that not only did he become a target, but people were messing with my vehicle when my daughter was driving it, which was actually a threat of my life. And I have someone come to my place after marrying my two staffers and scream, you are a general of the sodomite. I was called the Antichrist. My wife was called the Spawn of Satan. That's interesting. So he had an axe to grind with the Republicans who threw him out of office, basically, and uh, attempted to attack him, threaten him. Well, that's what they do. You speak out against Republicans, and they come after you. I mean, that's what fucking Nazis do, and that's what the Republicans do. A lot of what he said in this um, interview, we're going to hear a lot about in the hearing on Wednesday. I'm convinced of that. 
one of the things he brought out was that one of the numbers that was connecting to people in the White House was that of Jenny Thomas's phone. Now, we know that was coming. It'll be interesting to see what proof they have. And when there is proof given, that's going to explode some other problems. Jenny Thomas is nobody. She has no protection. She's an activist, a Republican, a conspiracy theorist. She just happens to be married to a Supreme Court justice. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when she's exposed. You notice just a few few days ago, maybe a week ago, she said, oh, yeah, I'll come talk to the January 6th committee, in spite of the fact that previously she said, I have no reason to come there. I'm not coming. Now, all of a sudden, she's very accommodating. And why? Because she knows in this hearing some shit's going to come out, and she better have some fucking answers and try to talk her way out of this, which she won't be able to do, or she's going to jail. And frankly, based on the things that she did uh, that we know of, she should be going to jail. And whether she's married to a Supreme Court justice or not has no bearing on it at all. She is a private citizen, and she did what she could to try to overthrow this government. No one is above the law. That's what they keep telling us. So given that, she should go to fucking jail. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think we only know just a fraction of what she was involved in. I think this hearing and maybe future hearings will expose just exactly the things she did. And even though what we know now sounds horrendous, I think it's going to get worse. She's not a good person. She's a conspiracy theorist. When she was young, she was in a cult. Then presumably she was out of a cult and married to a Supreme Court justice. And now she's back into a cult. There's no other way to look at those people that believe there was election fraud, that uh, Democrats are drinking the bloods of babies. I mean, it's all fucking absolutely ridiculous. It's all QAnon shit. She has embraced the QAnon stuff from the beginning. And now, of course, Donald Trump is embracing QAnon because he's got nothing else. These people are in desperation mode. They know the jig is up and that they're going to be in trouble, and there is virtually no way out for them. Ginny knows this. You can bet she's trying to wrangle some way to slip out of this, but it's virtually impossible. When you have text messages that came from her phone that were written with her fingertips, it's hard to deny that. I always love it when uh, we see what's going on and People like Roger Stone, who will also play a big role, as I mentioned, in this hearing and in future hearings and future investigations. Well, they'll come out and say, oh, yeah, that's an audio recording, but uh, but it's uh, <laughs> it's been doctored. And I've said this before. When they say that, it reminds me of when I was a little kid and I'd be watching AWA wrestling on a Saturday night. My brother and I be sitting down watching AWA wrestling because we fucking loved it. We'd even come down in our underwear because they look like trunks and we'd wrestle around. That's very weird, I know. But keep in mind, we were five and six years old. So, you know, cut us a break. But we'd watch this. And of course, you know, the, the, the villain, the heel, would do something like pull a blade out of his pants and cut the hero And they'd say, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And they go, well, we have the video. And they'd always say, that video is doctor. Now, this was in the 60s and 70s. They didn't have the technology they had now, so I don't know how the fuck you doctored it back then. But that's what these idiots remind me of. That's a pretty lame, pretty desperate fucking uh, excuse. But that's what they'll try to do. Um I mean, if you're going to start spewing things about conspiracy theories and and uh, ivermectin and, and uh, Democrats in a pizza place sacrificing babies, you'll say pretty much fucking anything. And that's that's kind of the trait of a narcissist. They spew bullshit. They spew rhetoric. They try to bully. And they can usually roll over somebody. But when it gets to the point where we're now at, where... 
they can't explain things away. They can't bully anymore because they don't have the power. They just start spewing crazy shit. And that's why this is going to be entertaining, watching the likes of Donald Trump, Roger Stone, Jenny Thomas, Jim Jordan, Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, all these motherfuckers. They're going to start saying shit in order to rev up their base. And they will rev up their base, but again, remember, the base isn't big enough to win a fucking election. So it's not going to work. All these people are going to go down, and they're going to go down fucking hard. So it's going to be very entertaining to watch. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. All right, just a heads up, uh, I believe I'm going to uh, have a listener on the show. We're going to record it maybe Friday, I think it was. I have to check that to make sure. But uh, the gentleman we'll be talking to is TJ. I'm not sure when that's going to show up over the weekend or Monday or what have you. But uh, TJ, I read his email yesterday, and uh, he sounds like an interesting guy. He sounds like my kind of guy. He's loud, proud, mouthy, and he hates Donald Trump. Sounds like somebody you all know and love, right? (laughs) It should be an entertaining show, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I want to remind everybody that if you want to be on the show, by all means... Uh, email me. Don't be afraid. I will make it easy for you. When I first started doing this with the listeners and putting them on the show, people were amazed that it worked and that it was kind of a unique idea. It's not. It's not at all a unique idea. When I was in my early 20s, I was producing uh, a lot of call-in talk shows on a talk radio station. That's all this is. But instead of having multiple calls in an hour, we have one call and uh, we talk to a listener. So the idea of doing a talk show on the Internet isn't a bad one. I always wanted to try to do that. Unfortunately, you have to be live when that's going on and you have to be able to switch between callers. And uh, as much of a technical genius I am, which I'm not, I have not been able to figure that out as yet. However... It's easy enough to bring one listener on and spend the hour talking to them. And we've been fortunate that uh, each time I've done that, the shows have come out very well. And that's largely due to the quality of the listeners we have on the Rational Boomer podcast. We have a lot of Rational Boomers and honorary Rational Boomers because we have some younger people out there. Um, But they do a great job. They're very insightful, smart, articulate. And it's a great joy to have them on the show. And much like I suggest with Ed when he's on the show, the shows are easier for me. I don't really have to prepare for them. I just want to know what you want to talk about, and we just talk. That's the wonders of podcasting as opposed to radio. A lot of people want to do podcasts, and they want to make it sound like a radio show. That's the absolute wrong thing to fucking do. Podcasts are more intimate. And it's more about uh, listening in to a conversation. And that's the goal we should be shooting for here on the podcast. That's the goal I shoot for anyway. So anyway, if you're one of those folks that's kind of on the fence, do you want to be on the show? Do you not want to be on the show? Don't worry about it. Email me. We'll set it up. We'll do the show. And if after the show you say, now that was fucked up. I don't feel good about that. I don't have to run it. It's not live. You're not locked into it. You're not going to make some fatal mistake. If something happens in the podcast, and generally you're happy with the podcast, but you said a couple things you're not sure about, I can edit that shit out. It's not that hard. I edit out coughs and other things, uh, these podcasts, all the time. I don't edit content. What you hear is pretty much me sitting down and talking, or me and a listener or me and Ed just talking. I don't edit content at all. It's just the glitches and and coughs and stuff like that I cut out. So if you're worried about it, give it a try. And if afterwards you don't like it, we don't have to run it. I'll try to convince you to run it if I thought it was good, but you're not stuck. All right. Now here's the deal. Mitch McConnell has said as much. And I think all of us know this. Um, When we were looking at the Republican primaries and a lot of Donald Trump's endorsees were winning, there were a lot of people upset about it. 
oh, Donald Trump's got power. His endorsees are winning. And I told you all along, I said, man, we want Donald Trump's endorsees to win because they're the craziest fuckers of all of them. And they are the weakest candidates. And since they're the weakest candidates, that makes it much easier for our Democratic counterparts. Still, people got nervous about it. Well, I got a little story for you here that kind of illustrates what I was talking about. Doug Mastriano. He's that far-right Trump-backed candidate for Pennsylvania governor. Um, and he's a fucking white supremacist, uh, egomaniac, um, big lie purporter, and just a fucking asshole. Well, he was supposed to hold a very big rally at the state capital of Harrisburg. Unfortunately, it was a little bit of a disappointment. The New York Times reports that the rally was a massive flop after only 60 people showed up. Doug's stock isn't rising. It's dropping like a rock. Every time he opens his mouth, he looks worse. And less people want to align themselves with him. So what I told you about Donald Trump, this is what I'm telling you about these endorsees. Just let them talk. They'll fuck it up for themselves. And that's what Doug Mastriani is doing. The Times notes that the rally debacle was just the latest setback for Mastriano's campaign, which has drawn criticism for trying to find support on the right-wing social network Gab that is a haven for bigotry and anti-Semitism. Gab. I've always heard about that social media site. Never went on it. Have no interest in going on it. If all they throw out there is bigotry and anti-Semitism, that's just going to piss me off. If I go on that, I'll be kicked off within hours, minutes. Now, Mastriano is being heavily outspent by his Democratic rival. He has had no television ads on air since May. A gubernatorial candidate who hasn't had ads on TV since May, or radio for that matter, has chosen not to interact with the state's news media in ways that would push his agenda and trails by double digits in reputable public polling and most private surveys, the paper writes. There's no sign of cavalry coming to his aid either. The Republican Governors Association, which is planning or which is helping the party's nominees in Arizona, Michigan, and six other states, has no current plans to assist Mr. Mastriani Mastriano, according to the people with knowledge of its deliberations. I mean, it would be spending good money after bad and because uh, he's, he's just blowing it. Now, the Times writes that Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, the RGA's co-chairman, hinted earlier this year that Mastriano might be a lost cause. I would think so, with 60 people showing up to his rally and he would be unworthy of receiving major injections of funds. Ducey says, we don't fund lost causes, and we don't fund landslides, he explained after being asked about Mastriano. You have to show us something. You have to demonstrate that you can move numbers and you can raise resources. Well, the fact that you got 60 people coming to your rally isn't going to sell you as a prospect. But imagine that, being a Republican gubernatorial candidate for Pennsylvania. This is a big one. And talking all of Donald Trump's shit, he is endorsed by Donald Trump. But the Republicans say, yeah, now we're not going to help you because you don't have a fucking chance. They're not going to throw good money after bad. That's just not going to happen. And that doesn't bode very well for Mr. Mastriano in Pennsylvania. He is likely going to lose. You know, see, the funny thing about these endorsees for Donald Trump, like J.D. Vance and some of the Herschel Walker, not only are they problematic in their rhetoric, they're not very bright. They know nothing about um, running a campaign. And this was one of the problems Donald Trump found when he got into office. Fortunately, he had somebody running his campaign, and he had the Russians helping him in 2016. But like Donald Trump, none of these people understand how the game is played. And let's be honest, 
government, whether it be local or federal. It's a game, and it's bigger than the likes of Donald Trump we're finding out now with all these investigations. Certainly bigger than Doug Mastriano or Herschel Walker or any of these other fucking clowns. They don't know how to play the game. And I I have a feeling that when they get into these things, they think it's just going to take off and it's going to be an easy win. But when they start losing, they lose confidence and they lose interest in doing it. So they just kind of back off and wait to get their ass kicked. And that's not a way to run a campaign. Um, Next up, during a Morning Joe panel discussion on Donald Trump's chances of running and winning back the presidency in 2024, MSNBC host Jonathan Lemire suggested that the former president and his inner circle are living in a state of paranoia about what will be the next legal blow to arrive. And I think that's clearly happening. And I think people like Mastriano are in a little bit of uh, paranoia too because they're all being exposed for all kinds of things. I love when people say, oh, Donald Trump's going to run for the presidency in 2024. No, he's fucking not. He's just not. I mean, after these midterms, when Trump endorsees get their ass kicked, do you really think the Republican Party wants him as a candidate? I mean, in 2020, he lost by 7 million votes. And he hasn't done anything to improve his status. He's not going to be the one that they want as a candidate. They're going to be looking for a fresh start because they're going to have a hard time winning the presidency in 2024 as it is. And right now, with all the things falling around Donald Trump, there's a lot of things hanging over his head, and there's got to be a lot of paranoia. We know that Donald Trump, when he gets in these situations, he becomes the victim. And then he starts screaming about how he is the victim and looking for sympathy. Well, there aren't too many people really interested in giving him their sympathy. Now, discussing a new poll from New York Times that shows 54% of those asked believe the former president is a threat to democracy. Most of the panel expressed belief he will still be the GOP's nominee in 2024 and that Trump's camp thinks indictments will fire up their base. Jesus fucking Christ. They're hoping for indictments because they think it'll make it easier for him to win in 2024. How tone deaf is that? That's fucking ridiculous. Did you hear that first poll I told you about? A new poll from the New York Times that shows 54% of those asked believe the former president is a threat to democracy. That's going to get them votes? Really? That's going to get them votes? This goes back to what I've always said. Donald Trump will spew shit. And Republicans will buy into it and believe it. And Democrats will be afraid of it and they will believe it. And then all of a sudden he gets credibility. There is no way in hell Donald Trump should have any fucking credibility or even become a serious prospect for running for president in 2024. It's just not going to happen. Because between now and 2024, it's going to get way worse for Donald Trump. And it's a shit show now. Nonetheless, Trump and his inner circle still have major concerns about investigations by the Department of Justice, the House Select Committee looking into the January 6th insurrection, a Georgia grand jury hearing testimony on election fraud tampering, and now a lawsuit by New York Attorney General uh, Letitia James alleging financial fraud. And keep in mind, Letitia James is also referring Donald Trump to the SDNY for criminal charges. As way too early, host Lemire explained, there is a great deal of nervousness surrounding the president. Well, yeah, no shit. I think he's finally grasping that he's in deep trouble. He's one of these guys that's real, has a real easy time of putting it off to the side like that's not going to happen. That could never happen to me. In terms of Trump world, two things, a common phrase around here, two things can be true at once, Lemire began. On one hand, there's a growing certain 
that his inner circle has really shrunk in recent months. People are walking away from him. There's a handful of aides with him, whether at Bedminster or Mar-a-Lago, even Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, some of his most trusted advisors and his kids, are now largely on the outer rim of the Trump world at this moment. And there's real paranoia as to which shoe could drop in terms of investigations. They're not sure which is worse. Is it going to be Mar-a-Lago's document case? Is it going to be what comes out of Georgia? Obviously, now we have the lawsuits from the Attorney General of New York State and, of course, the ongoing DOJ probe of January 6th. Which one is worse? Doesn't matter. Whichever, Whichever one falls first is going to be the knockout blow. I've said this before. We only need one indictment to get Donald Trump out of the fucking way. Two reasons. One indictment is all that it's going to need to take down Donald Trump. But more importantly, once one indictment comes, the others will fall very quickly. No one wants to be the first one to indict a former president. But once it happens, like Fonnie, um, like, like Fonnie Willis down in Georgia, she may be the one to do it. If she does, then all of a sudden everybody else will say, well, I'm not the first one, so let's fucking pour it on. Now, we were talking about the hearing coming up tomorrow. The final scheduled hearing from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol will feature documentary clips of former Trump advisor Roger Stone predicting political violence after the 2020 election. Now, I want you to listen to that sentence. They say the final scheduled hearing from the House Select Committee. That doesn't mean it's the final hearing. That means it's the final scheduled hearing. They don't have any other scheduled into October, but that doesn't mean more more of them aren't coming. In fact, I have to believe there are more coming. Like I said, how do you wrap it up after all those investigations, all those depositions and all that evidence? How do you wrap it up in one more hearing? You can't do it. But I heard some of these recordings of Roger Stone that came out from this documentary. And he is talking about the prospect of violence. And, of course, it goes back to what I said before. Roger Stone is saying, I didn't say that. That shit's doctored. Yeah, right, Roger. I'm sure they have the raw footage, and that won't be hard to disprove. The Washington Post reported on Monday that the Wednesday hearing will broadcast film footage from a Danish crew led by director Christopher Goldbranson, who is making a documentary about Stone called A Storm Foretold, expected for release later this year. The Danish crew's footage captured Stone predicting months before the 2020 election that Trump would use armed guards and loyal judges to stay in power, according to the Post, which cited a person familiar with the matter. The clips will also reveal comments from other Trump officials, including former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon, about declaring victory regardless of the results. The Post reported Trump would go on to do just that. On election night, Gull Branson told the newspaper that being with Roger Stone and people around him for nearly three years, we realized what we saw after the 2020 election and January 6th was not the culmination but the beginning of an anti-democratic movement in the United States. Politico reported last month that January 6th committee aides traveled to Copenhagen in Denmark to review the footage. So J6 committee folks went there to see this. The committee reviewed three years worth of footage and ultimately settled on playing 14 clips totaling about 10 minutes of footage at Wednesday's hearing, although which footage to play was not has not been finalized. The Post previously reported about one clip recorded months before the 2020 election in which Stone discussed with a staffer that Trump should use the courts and federal judges to stay in power if he lost the race. I think they already knew he was going to lose at that point. In another clip recorded the day before the election after a rally for former Rep. Doug Collins, Stone talked of violence saying, Fuck the voting. 
Let's get right to the violence before adding that he was joking. Yeah, he's joking, all right. It's funny, that's how it turned out, so it must not have been much of a joke. The House Committee's last planned hearing will be followed by a final report on its investigation. The panel has painted Trump as the center of the events that led to the attack on the Capitol. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing... Um, that's the thing that you have to understand is over and above the hearings, when it's all when they're all done with the hearings, and again, I don't think September 28th is the last, last hearing, but when it's done, they are going to give a final presentation, and that will be the knockout punch. It's like a summation in a court case, you know, the final summation, summarization of, uh, of what they presented. But I think they've got a lot more to present, and that summation will be very interesting, very compelling, and very damning. i got to give the Democrats credit for this. They've done a good job with the hearings, and I have no reason to believe they won't knock it out of the park when they finally wrap everything up. Lawmakers have argued he made multiple attempts to stay in power, including pushing to swing the vote his way in the battleground states, pressuring former Vice President Mike Pence to not certify the election, and letting rioters attack the Capitol for hours until he realized the effort was failing. Over the summer hearings, the committee featured uh, documentary footage from two other filmmakers who captured the riot and events leading up to January 6th. So you've got video footage of these dumb fucks saying these things. You can say the tapes are doctored, but fuck you. That's bullshit. Now, Representative Liz Cheney made a comment that was interesting. Not surprising, but certainly interesting. The comment that she will not be a Republican if former President Trump wins the party's 2024 presidential nomination. And that's sparking chatter that she might mount an independent White House run. While Cheney lost her House primary to the former president's endorsed candidate last month, her break with MAGA wing of the GOP has made her the leader of the anti-Trump movement among Republicans and beyond. And you remember, I talked about this. What's essentially happened with the Republican Party is it's split, which is good news for the Democrats. You have one group going one way, the Liz Cheney route, and one group going the crazy motherfucking redneck pieces of shit. And Liz Cheney knew she was going to lose the primary, but she's not giving up. She's not going away. Um... I think she sees herself now as a leader for the normal Republican Party if they have hopes of um, bringing back the Republican Party to some normalcy. And I think she's hedging her bets here. As I've told you before, when we go into the midterms, if all these Trump endorsees fail, they will walk away from Trump in a minute. Once these tactics, once these strategies don't work, they will drop it like a hot rock and they'll have to decide on something else. And I'm thinking she's betting that they'll try to go back to a more normal Republican Party, which won't be effective for a long time. Once they've gone through this midterm and they've lost, they've got five, ten years before they're back to where they should be. But she's positioning herself Uh, at a point where she'll be the leader of it because she was the first one there. Now, it's unclear whether Cheney will run in 2024 at all. I doubt it. I don't know why she would. She has no chance whether she would run as an independent if she mounted a bid or what impact an independent bid could uh, could have on what's shaping up to be another Trump-focused presidential election. But observers say she'll continue to be an important figure on the national stage no matter what. She's going to be one of the most prominent voices in politics over the coming years, regardless of being in Congress or not, said veteran Republican strategist Doug Hay. Chatter about a possible Cheney presidential bid began almost the minute she lost her House primary and gave a speech that was at once a concession and a vow to keep fighting. Her comments over the weekend are the latest to draw attention from the political observers, 
all of whom are eager to see how Cheney responds to a likely Trump presidential run in 2024. Though the former president hasn't announced his intentions yet, reports suggest he could launch another White House bid shortly after the November midterms. If he's going to do it, that's when he's going to do it. He will think that he'll be safe and he'll be protected once he becomes a candidate. Not the case. Will Liz Cheney run as an independent? I don't know. I don't care. She doesn't have a fucking prayer. She's not going to win. And I'm going to tell you this, you Democrats out there that love Liz Cheney because she's standing up to Donald Trump, that's fine. But you do not want to vote for her. I guarantee you, you do not want to vote for her. She is a hardcore conservative. She is anti-abortion. She is uh, all about the trickle-down theory and sending money to the rich. I give her credit for standing up to Donald Trump and doing what's right. (laughs) But as I told Ed in the previous podcast, I would not vote for her. I could not be her friend. The only thing she's good for, for me, is what she's doing now and helping us in a fight against the uh, dumpster fire, Donald Trump. She went on to say, I'm going to make sure Donald Trump, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure he's not the nominee, she said during an interview at the Texas Tribune Festival on Saturday. And if he is the nominee, I won't be a Republican, she added. Additionally, the outgoing congresswoman said that she would be willing to campaign for Democrats ahead of November's midterm election. Well, that's interesting. It's very interesting. And that's going to be very helpful. Because you see, in order for Democrats to win, they need to win the independents, which they pretty much have in their pocket because the independents aren't going to side with Donald Trump. But they also need the reasonably minded Republicans, you know. They don't have to win over every Republican to win these elections. They only need to pull over a fraction of the Republicans to tip the scales, And Cheney, those people that are Republicans that think she's solid and she keeps talking out against Donald Trump, and if she campaigns for Democrats, that could be hugely helpful. Cheney, who has said she's thinking about a presidential run, remains one of the big wild cards ahead of 2024, though third-party presidential campaigns have historically fallen flat. Cheney's high profile means an independent bid has the potential to scramble the political caucus as the GOP primary voters increasingly nominate hard-right candidates for office, frustrating more moderate Republicans. But even as chatter grows about the next presidential race, some observers uh, caution against taking the emphasis off Cheney's message. Now, I will say this. If Cheney does run in 24, that's a good thing for the Democrats. Because, as I said, what happens there is she is essentially splits the Republican Party. So her side, the crazy side, have no chance at winning because they're splitting up the votes. They're all Republican votes, but one are going one way, one are going another way, and it's going to make it impossible for them to win a presidential election, and the Democrats should walk away with it. So if she wants to run, I don't think she has a chance. I know she doesn't have a chance um, because... The Democrats aren't going to vote for her. Half the Republicans aren't going to vote for her. So how would she expect to win? That said, I hope she does. <coughs> I hope she does run. That said, I hope she does run because it'll be beneficial to the Democrats. There are going to be a lot of stories between now and whenever kind of uh, horse racing, what are her chances in Nevada or New Hampshire or what have you. And I think they will all miss the point, Hayes said. She's not talking about winning this precinct or that precinct. She's talking about a much bigger issue, he continued, referring to concerns over the uh, future of American democracy. Cheney Cheney herself shared this sentiment in Texas over the weekend when asked about 2024. She said, I think it's really important not to just immediately jump to the horse race. And I think about what we need as a country. And, you know, we have to step back from the abyss, Cheney said. And we have to recognize that there's this shift going on in our politics, that the 
tectonic plates are shifting. And that means that we all have our responsibility to say to ourselves, what are we going to do to make sure that our kids, you know, know what it means to have peaceful transfer of power? And what are we going to do to make sure we don't contribute to an unraveling of the republic? And I think that's a much bigger question. And I agree with her. Saving democracy is far more important than uh, the success of the Republican or the Democratic Party at this point. We can't even worry about parties. We've got to worry about the basis for our government. Still, as the most prominent face of the anti-Trump movement, Cheney is seen as a natural alternative for Republicans unhappy with the direction of the party under Trump, particularly when it comes to the boosting of candidates who deny the results of the 2020 presidential election. Remember that that poll I said, 54% of the country thinks that Donald Trump is bad for democracy. So those people who happen to be Republicans are going to want an alternative. They may not want to vote for a Democrat, but they might vote for Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger or somebody along those lines. And again, that just splits up the Republican Party. That's all good news for the Democrats. The question is how many of those Republicans there are and whether there are any Democrats willing to go beyond lauding her work against Trump and cast ballots for her. I hope to God they don't. That would be the stupidest thing in the world. If any Democrat votes for Liz Cheney just because she fought against Donald Trump, you're not fucking paying attention. Do not vote for Liz Cheney. Now, during her primary night speech last month, Cheney appealed to Republicans, Democrats, and Independents to stand together with her against those who would destroy our republic. Additionally, Cheney vowed to do whatever it takes to ensure Donald Trump is never again anywhere near the Oval Office, and uh, we can appreciate that. All right, there's, there's this one... This is kind of a shit story that I just want to bring up because I don't like this guy. Right-wing commentator Ben Shapiro was the subject of much mockery this weekend after he claimed the U.S. military is suffering because the country has abandoned traditional masculinity. I got to tell you, Ben Shapiro doesn't seem to be the picture of masculinity himself. Now, in a clip posted on Twitter by Ron Flipowski, the Daily Wire founder suggested that wars are best fought by what he described as typically very patriotic, very male people. Now, I'm sorry to break it to you, but this has been the truth about military warfare for literally all of human history, he said, before suggesting the U.S. fighting forces are hurting because we are a society that doesn't believe in traditional masculinity. Traditional masculinity is an opponent because traditional masculinity requires roles, he added. According to Shapiro, who has never served in the military, men are supposed to protect, defend, and be strong, but these are... Apparently very bad things now. You're not supposed to say these things. I just have to say, Ben Shapiro, I hate this motherfucker. He uses the same strategies whenever he's arguing with anybody. He talks louder and longer, and he just spews bullshit. He's fairly articulate in terms of using big words, but when it comes to substance, he has none. I got to be honest with you, and this is maybe my male ego coming out, but I would love to debate this motherfucker because I know exactly how you deal with him. He likes to talk fast, and I'd like to ask him, this high-pitched nasal voice talking really fast, is that a strategy he, he created, or is that how you normally talk? Because nobody normally talks that fucking way. The best way to handle a guy like this is to slow everything down. Be methodical about how you're talking to him because it will fuck him up. What he's counting on is somebody trying to match him in speed and and, and, uh, quantity. And frankly, I think I could compete with him on that. I think I could talk as much as he does. But then nothing would be accomplished. The key is to slow things down and ask simple questions and expect simple answers. But he's not good at answering simple answers. He's good at rhetoric and talking bullshit and being convoluted and trying to confuse people. 
Ben Shapiro doesn't confuse me at all. I see exactly what he's doing, and it's pretty lame. The You know, it's real easy for him to stand in front of college students and confuse them and mix them up. Let him talk to somebody with some intelligence. I mean, I saw him one time on some British show. Now, I didn't know the guy he was talking to, but Ben basically accused this guy of being a crazy liberal. Apparently, Ben didn't do any fucking homework on this guy because it turns out this guy was probably the most conservative of all people, a very well-known conservative in England. And the guy just kind of laughed at him. He slowed it down and he fucking destroyed Ben Shapiro. It's not hard to destroy Ben Shapiro. The fact that he has all these listeners and followers just fucking amazes me. These people are looking for champions to fight for them, and they see him as a fighter. He's not a fighter. He's a bullshitter. He talks a lot. He talks loud, and he doesn't shut up. But he's not a smart man. Oh, I know he went to Harvard and all that stuff, but his own narcissism, his own sociopathy is fucking him up because he thinks he's smart enough to confuse and, and, and convolute his, his comments and, and win that way. Well, Ben Shapiro is like every other fucking Republican. If you sit them down and ask them to talk about facts, not rhetoric, not bullshit, not talking in circles, if you slow him down and make him answer facts, he, he doesn't have a fucking prayer. He wouldn't have a fucking show. The only reason he can pull off what he pulls off is because the people who watch him and listen to him are fucking dumber than he is. He doesn't do well with somebody who's uh, comparably as smart as he is and comparably as articulate as he is. As much as I'd like to debate him, there are some other people in this world that would kick his ass, but you never find him talking to those people. He's always talking to college students or being on some show and not doing his homework and being embarrassed. Don't like fucking Ben Shapiro. I won't watch anything he fucking does because he's worthless and there is no substance to the things he says. All right. <laughs> People are going to say to me, you're just jealous. No, I'm not jealous. I don't want to be some weaselly, nasally sounding fucking bullshitter. I'd rather be middle-aged, losing hair, out of shape, with an attitude. Because that's me. Fuck it. <laughs> All right. We went long this time. A little surprised by that. When I'm on my own and I go long, I think, well, that kind of escalated quickly. Anyway, I hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.